Why do churches split over small, petty things? Why do couples fight over things both of them agree are insignificant? And how can it be prevented? We'll get the answers today from Philippians 2.3. Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. The church in Dallas that became so divided that they ignored the clear command of 1 Corinthians 6 not to sue brothers in Christ, and the two sides actually took each other to court uh, to see who would get the church property in this fight that they were having. And the judge in that case wisely ruled that it was not the role of the courts to decide something like that, and so he remanded the the whole matter over to the denominational uh, officials to decide, and those officials uh, looked into it, the matter, and researched the whole thing, and they eventually gave all of the property and the building to one of the factions. And predictably, the other faction split off and formed their own church nearby, church growth American style. And uh, during the whole investigation by the denomination, when that was all going on, the officials uh, managed to trace the dispute back to its original source. They found out how it started. And that was reported in the Dallas News. It turned out the whole dispute began at a church dinner when an elder was served a smaller portion of ham than the kid sitting next to him was served. Now we hear a story like that. And we just shake our heads and think, how could somebody be so childish and immature as to split a church over a piece of ham? But you'd be amazed, really, how often, how many church splits begin with something that trivial. It happens all the time. Someone in the church feels slighted, and they respond in the flesh with a sinful, selfish, biting, kind of angry remark. And uh, and now they got their little dig in, and 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 they think that's the end of it. We're even now. I mean, they. It, but the other guy reacts in the flesh too, and that provokes another response. And neither side is willing to ever humble themselves and repent, and it starts to escalate. And at some point, inevitably, the whole thing will shift uh, to away from that minor little issue that started it uh, to some doctrinal issue or some matter of of conscience, um, so that they can justify digging their heels in. And once they do that, once it's a matter of principle or it's a doctrinal thing, then uh, nobody can back off. They don't want anybody to see how petty it is, so they they pretend it's something big. And once it's something big, then they can never back off of it. They can't compromise, and so then, then they dig in. And friends start rallying around friends, and pretty soon the whole church is involved, and... Uh, most of the people have no idea how the whole thing actually started because they jumped in after it got escalated to something big. Then later on, when somebody is sifting through the rubble and ashes of the devastation, they find that first offense, and, and, and here's what they'll do. They'll point their finger at that cause, and they'll say, oh, it was a piece of ham. Uh, but that's not really the case. You see, there's always going to be offenses. There's always going to be slights, always going to be insults and sins and things like that in the church. Those things don't split churches. What splits churches is wrong reactions to those things. 
We can, if we can learn to respond in a godly way to the insults of others and the sins of others, uh, and we handle other people's sin the way that Scripture says to handle it, then the result can be the strengthening of God, the household of God rather than the destruction of it. So, so the little ham elder in that church in Texas, that church split was not caused by somebody failing to provide an elder portion to an elder. Uh, it was caused by wrong reactions to that and then wrong reactions to those wrong reactions. And, and it could have been stopped at any point. Maybe the server should have given him a bigger piece. Maybe the server had some bad motives in giving him that little piece. You know, it could have been a little bit worse than it sounds. It could have been that, like, you know, it was this big and it was on purpose and it was, it was because of a dispute they were having. But if that elder had had any humility at all, he would have been thankful to have any ham at all, and he would have been thankful to have the fact that somebody was spending their time serving him food, and he would have been happy for the kid who got more. And he would have assumed the best of the server, and there would have been no problem. No problem. Or maybe maybe that elder is going to be immature, and he's going to react in the flesh, and he's going to be be sinful. But the people around him don't have to respond in kind to that. Instead of letting letting the whole thing escalate into a war, they they come alongside that elder and help him see his sin and gently restore him back to godliness. There's so many points in the early stages of a church conflict where the car can be steered back onto the road and instead of driving off the cliff of conflict. But if that's the case, why do so many churches drive off the cliff? Why do people who have been friends in the church for years just throw away those friendships over little offenses? If a, if, if a huge, painful catastrophe could be avoided just by having godly responses to an offense, why don't we have more godly responses to minor offenses than we do? Here's why. It's because having a godly response to an offense requires one of the most painful, difficult things a human being could possibly do, namely, letting go of pride. We cling to our pride, which is insanity because, because nothing causes more trouble and heartache and loss in our lives than our pride. It's not our friend. Pride turns our creator against us. James 4, 6 says uh, God opposes the proud. I mean, would you agree that the worst thing that could ever happen in the universe would be to have an almighty creator against you? Pride Never brings joy, always brings sorrow and heartache. Pride makes us discontent and unsatisfied. No matter how much blessing we have in our lives, it'll make us unhappy. It makes us get angry when things don't go our way. It spoils our mood. It destroys our relationships, damages our marriages, uh, fouls up our parenting, hurts our careers. It invites the discipline of God into our lives. And yet, the hardest thing we can ever do is let go of it. 
remember one of our kids when she was just a little baby, uh, just an infant, she suddenly started crying really loud, and I looked over and, and uh, I see what was wrong, and she, she'd gotten a hold of a big metal spoon. And she was just, just, an, just an infant, so she didn't have any control of her arms and legs yet. And so she had this spoon, and she's smacking herself in the head with that spoon uh, over and over. And so I, you know, I grabbed the spoon out of her hand. When I took that spoon away from her, she started crying twice as loud as she was before. She didn't want to give up that spoon. Um, because she had no idea that it was the spoon that was causing this strange reoccurring pain in her head. That's the way we are with our pride. It does nothing but hurt us. It causes us nothing but harm and destroys our lives, and yet we grip it as tight as we can because we, we have this sick love affair with it. Humility, on the other hand, is beautiful and beneficial. And that's what Paul is going to show us all through this chapter. But before he starts talking about humility, he knows that it's going to be an incredibly difficult thing for us to let go of our pride. He knows that's going to be hard, and so he gave us that motivation in verse 1. And we saw that last week. You remember, he said, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, uh, any comfort, any any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness, compassion, all of this, this is all motive. So that's our motivation. This is what enables us to be willing to let go of pride, is that motivation. And we spent a whole hour last time just basking in the love and tenderness of God. Verse 1 is one of the most powerful motivational speeches ever given, and it's only a half a sentence. Um, It's all about God's tender love and compassion and kindness towards us. He said, if you've received any of that, if you've received any mercy or encouragement or comfort from God, then please just do what I'm going to ask you to do in verses 2 through 4. Now, that's important because today's sermon is going to be a hard one. There's probably numerous times in the sermon today where you think, okay, that's just impossible. I can't. I can't. And every time you're tempted to think that, we need to go back to verse 1 and hear the Lord Jesus asking you the question, have I ever been kind to you? Have I ever shown you any mercy, any love at all? Yes, Lord, of course you have, more than I can even fathom. Well, then will you do this for me? Would you show humility towards one another for my sake and for the unity of my church? And, and please don't think of uh, that as some sort of repayment. Don't think of it in that, in that term. It's not that. It's not that we're paying God back for his love by being unified and humble. It's not a business transaction. It's a love relationship. We're not paying him back. We're, we're doing it to make him happy because we love him. The more you love someone, the more you want to make that person happy. And Jesus is saying, you want to you make me happy? You want to know what would make me happy? Be Unified in humility. Pride in relationships is one of those strange sins that brings us no pleasure. It only makes our lives miserable and unhappy and more difficult, and yet something in us refuses to let go of it. I think part of the problem, at least for me, is simply the fact that it's so ingrained in my heart that I don't even notice it. If someone crossed me, And right before I responded, another person walked up and said, Hey, Daryl, before you respond, let me just remind you, this would be the humble response. This is what a prideful response would look like. If that happened, in many cases, I think I would be, I'd go right ahead with the humble response. But so many times I react without even 
thinking about what's humble or what's prideful. My prayer is that more and more, humility will just become a part of my character, so I don't always have to think about it. It's just my natural response. But until then, my goal is to be more mindful of it. So whenever I have an encounter with somebody, and it doesn't have to be a hostile encounter, any, any encounter at all, but especially hostile, especially if it's some argument or disagreement, I want to ask myself afterwards, what response could I have had that would have been more humble? Now, that's not to say we always have to be wimpy, capitulating in our responses where we just give people whatever they want. Some interactions require a strong response, even a harsh one. But even those can be done in a proud way or a humble way. So I'll keep asking, is there any way that exchange could have been more humble on my part? Who am I, Father, to elevate myself above fellow creatures? I'm not anyone's creator. I'm not anyone's lord or master. And yet so many times my words or attitudes show that's how I view myself. Humble me, Father, whatever it takes. Teach me humility. If it can be done without a lot of pain and sorrow, that would be great. But if not, please, just do whatever it takes to humble me because I know you oppose the proud and give grace to the humble. Whatever humiliation or failure or suffering I might have to endure to learn humility, it wouldn't be as bad as being opposed by you. I want that grace that you give only to the humble. You preserve the faithful, but the proud you pay back in full. Though you are on high, you look upon the lowly, but the proud you know from afar. I want you to look upon me, Lord. You detest the proud in heart, and they will not go unpunished. You tear down the proud man's house, but you protect the lowly. I would rather be humble and be among the oppressed and mistreated than to share the plunder with the proud. Answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love and your great mercy turn to me. I love you, Lord, for you heard my voice. You listened to my cry for mercy. Because you turned your ear to me, I will call on you as long as I live. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.